We're going to be continuing our study in Colossians this evening, and we're in the third chapter. The Apostle Paul has, of course, given us some incredibly high doctrine in this epistle concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the creation of this world and the universe. By him, we learn, all things were created which are in heaven and in earth. Of course, he is a divine person, equal in deity with the Father. And uh, one God we serve in three persons, a glorious trinity, a triunity of the one God. And, uh, of course, he tells us of the wondrousness of our reconciliation to God through the blood of Christ. When we get to the third chapter, we have some very important practical instructions. These instructions, of course, can only be carried out by those who know the Lord in truth. They cannot be complied with by natural means. And uh, surely, in most homes, I fear, it's not the rule of love as patterned after Christ that is the governing principle. Rather, it's the rule of sin. And as we look into this particular passage, and we find here reciprocal duties of those who are in Christ in a family, it's a wondrous thing. But this is not all that's taught, of course, about the family in Scripture. There are situations, of course, where a Christian woman was married to an unbeliever and uh, would put one under a completely different situation. And there are difficult situations where families where there is one who is in Christ or maybe a couple who are in Christ and yet not all and uh, even the children can rebel against the things of God. They do not have the capacity to comply with the truth of God because that requires the work and the control as we look into this passage as we will bring forth uh, in our application the work of the Holy Spirit only as he controls. But where there is a true Christian home where Christ indeed rules and when his word indeed is that which is the governing principle in the home, it's a wondrous thing albeit a rare thing. So in Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 12 because we will be drawing also from the context, which, of course, is very important in application here. The apostle writes, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, do it, in, uh, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then we have these instructions for the family in Christ. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. We'll reserve that of servants and the principle of doing whatever is done heartily as to the Lord, not to men, for the next study. Tonight we will center our attention upon the home. Let's ask God's blessing upon the ministry of his word. Our Father, we do thank thee that thou art over all things. Thou art sovereign. Thou art the ruler of all. And Father, we recognize that we live in a sinful world. We were born in sin into this world. And so we comprehend the horrendous things that can take place and the sinfulness that can rule and the disruptions and destructions that can come in human relationships. And so we ask thee, our Father, that as we look into this passage, that we might be taught by thy spirit that thy truth may govern our homes, that we may receive thy word aright and recognize thine infinite wisdom, for thou hast ordained the family unit. We ask thee for thy blessing upon thy truth, and that the name of our blessed Savior would be honored and magnified as we look into this passage. And we shall thank thee in his holy name. Amen. Of course, what God teaches concerning the family through his word, he teaches concerning the nuclear family, meant by that where there is a husband, a wife, and children. And of course, we have those dealt with in the passage to which we are uh, fixing our attention tonight. And there's nothing quite so like a harmonious and a happy home. And yet that's not always to be found in this world. It's a rare thing, really, in our modern world. We find the tragic breakup of families, find turmoil, confusion, emotionally destructive things too many times to the children of such and... It is heartbreaking, the things that we read about, hear about in this world. But then on the other hand, and this is the rarity but blessed, a home where Christ rules as supreme Lord, where he is indeed all in all, where it's not the TV or the computer or the phone or the things of this day, but Christ has the heart, where there's a home where he rules supreme, 
where he is indeed the pattern to be followed, whether it be in the area of the headship of the man or the subjection that is commanded for the Christian wife or the child. When these instructions of God are followed, there's no place better to be than in a Christian home in this world. The problem, and of course the problem is where self-will and the natural defiance of a fallen sin nature is in control, whether that be in the wife, the husband, the children, misery is certain to be the outcome. And that's, of course, a very difficult situation to be in. And we live in a world that defies God on every hand, defying now even the existence of the nuclear family. We are in an incredible time. But when we look into this passage, and of course we're dealing particularly with a home that is to be centered in Christ, where there is salvation, where he reigns and rules, it's important that we understand that here we're having the Lord set forth reciprocal responsibilities for each member. This we are to consider as commands from our Lord himself. The Apostle Paul says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. As he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. And what a blessed thing when a home is governed by the Lord himself. And he is the pattern for all, husband, wife, children. We shall deal with this later. As it is fit in the Lord to draw the words from our passage. It has been pointed out that the submission of the wife to the husband is befitting to those who are in the Lord and who thus accept the divine pattern as seen in the original design of the Creator. God created the family. He is the only one who can establish it in a proper way. But the emphasis in this series of injunctions for the family is that responsibilities are reciprocal. If the wife offers obedience, it is in the context of the husband's love. There must be no self-seeking on the husband's part. For Christian love, as exemplified supremely in Christ, is far removed from the mere, mere nature or erratic love or erotic love in that it seeks primarily the good of the beloved rather than the satisfaction to be gained from the relationship. Negatively, the husband is warned of the danger of petty tyranny when bitterness or harshness usurps the place of love. Unlike the old pagan societies, or even presently the Muslim societies, in true biblical Christianity, Spiritually, the woman is equal to the man. That is something that is wonderfully taught in Scripture. No one 
exalted the woman higher than did the Lord Jesus Christ. There is to be then no thought of inferiority of the man for the woman. Peter wrote, of course, that husband and wife are, quote, heirs together of the grace of life. So the husband and wife who truly know the Lord and uh, where both are in a loving submission to his supreme headship, they're also brother and sister in him. They're also, of course, in the family of God. And the injunctions here that the world finds to be so despicable, not having a grain of understanding as to their God-ordained blessedness, give forth the only pattern where genuine love, patterned after the greatest love there is, the love of God in Christ, reigns supreme and is to reign in a genuine Christian home. There is no greater blessedness in a family than that which God establishes, teaches, and orders in his word. But we have to begin somewhere. We begin with the thought that there must be a right governing principle in the heart and in the mind. It doesn't really matter how well or how firmly we set forth what the Lord teaches in his word and the commands that he gives if there's not a heart for him and to obey him. And of course, the first responsibility is faith's obedience to Christ, to him as sovereign Lord. There must be the will and the ability to keep what he commands. That can't come by nature. So there can be then a great difference in knowing and doing the will of God. Quite a difference. Many know the word of God. Many can quote you passages of scripture. Many can tell you in a cursory way what's taught here. But there's no heart to keep it. For there's no heart for Christ and his truth and the things that are of him. The world takes precedence always in the unregenerate. The will of God in his word is called in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Might be verse 1, but that's the quote. To know what is good and to have the ability to perform what is good, to have the heart to do the will of God is something that is rare. And not to do so is defiance against him, ultimately. Not defiance in a human relationship that he orders. It's defiance against God. To him that knoweth to do good, wrote James, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So apart from this reality of new birth, of the giving of a new life in Christ by God's wondrous sovereign grace. 
of regeneration. The fallen nature rules. The fallen nature is in control. Pride is in control. Sin governs the heart. So, <clears throat> the pattern that will then be followed by the natural man, whether that natural man is religious or not, it's the pattern of the world. Because he or she, no matter how religious they may be, are still of the world. They're still under the control of the sin nature. We understand that, who are in Christ. We who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We who've come by the grace of God to know the Son of God in truth. To belong to him. No longer to be our own, but his who loved us and gave himself for us. To yield ourselves to him. To belong to him. And him alone. We know what it is, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to walk according to the course of this world under the influence and power of Satan. It's a wondrous thing when, as Paul wrote in Colossians 1.13, you're delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That puts you in a different position than this world is in. So to be controlled by societal pressures to conform to the ways of the world is to reject the will of God. They differ markedly. And then the prohibition we have in Scripture not to love the world in its present fallen state cannot be obeyed unless there is a genuine love for God and his truth, unless Christ is indeed one's Lord. Then we learn to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Included in that, the pride of life. When that is ruling, sin is ruling. When sin is ruling and self is central, destructive things take place in relationships. Not harmony. Not blessedness. So what does the question come down to? It comes down to who... Or what controls you? What is it? Or who is it that controls us? One who truly is brought by God's grace to the Lord Jesus Christ, one who truly comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to him in repentance from sin. Sin that ruled the heart Sin that governed the actions apart from him. And when sin is truly convicted of, when there's a work of God's Spirit that brings one to the knowledge and the conviction that they are a sinner, that they walked in defiance to God himself. And they turn from sin 
in seeing Christ and beholding him and his cross as he is the only sacrifice for sin and then brought to God truly through Christ crucified. Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, as in 1 Peter 3.18. One is brought to God through Christ when one comes by the grace of God to behold him and to behold the wondrousness of his redeeming love and that he is salvation and they trust him only by God's wondrous grace. All changes. My, what a difference. Then, as one trusts him only, and rest in the gloriousness of his redemption accomplished, and look to him only for salvation, then he alone then becomes the Lord of that believer the Lord of the one who believes. And not only do his commands bring us the governing principle and word, his life becomes the pattern through which we are to live. His life becomes the new life for the one who's given new life in him. And we hear his word, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're called upon to imitate our Lord. We don't hear a lot about that today. But the scriptures call us to imitate him, to be willing even to suffer from the world from which we've been called and to no longer live in its ways. And when we comply by God's grace through his work, by his spirit, to his word, and we live according to what he teaches us, then we're going to suffer from the world. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be despised. Even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And that's first Peter two verse twenty one. And to love with the very same kind of love with which he loves becomes our pattern. In Ephesians chapter five. Be ye therefore followers of God. That word followers is also translatable imitators. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved you and hath given himself for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Regeneration, new birth, new life in Christ. Only those who have that have the capability of complying in truth, in heart, with his word. And regeneration, not a remaking of the old person. It's not a changing of the old person. We have to understand this in scripture. 
It's a new life given, but it's given to those who live in the same body. We have the same principle of sin dwelling in this body that was there. We're to put off that old man by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But yet we have that sin dwelling in the flesh. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 called it the law of sin, which is in my members. So in this we comprehend that we have a battle. We have a warfare. And there is this possibility of responding either to the flesh or to the Spirit of God. That's why you remember Paul warned the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, take heed that you don't bite and devour one another. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're still there. Why do we have these awful desires that we have to keep under? Why do we have these thoughts that come Sometimes that we have to work at getting out of our hearts and minds. Why do we have these battles that take place? Because the sin principle is still in our flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is, we're going to get to the passage and its applications particularly soon. But the issue, if we are to keep these injunctions, the issue comes down to this. Who or what controls you? Who or what controls us? So what leads up to the injunctions concerning relationships, whether in the church or in the world or in the home, is first set forth. The old man must be put off and the new man put on. Paul dealt with that earlier in the passage. Then it has to bear upon the passage we look to tonight and the injunctions that were given herein. The same governing principle The same governing principle that is to control your new way of life in Christ in whatever human relationships there are is to govern your home as well. Remember the apostle already put in verses 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bounds of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, that love that demonstrated in Christ, which is the bond of perfectness. So in the Ephesian epistle, when the Apostle Paul sets forth these same instructions and commandments for the Christian home. He, pro he proceeds that by telling us the only way those injunctions 
can be carried out and no other. It preceded by be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. When the Apostle Paul says be filled with the Spirit he's not talking about some mystical experience. He's not talking about something that is felt. He's talking about the enablement, the empowerment of God to keep his word. He immediately goes on with the same injunctions we have here. It must be that you do not control this. That you can attempt all you like to control it. It won't work. <laughs> Only if you're under the control of God's Holy Spirit. And so, I think this is pertinent to what we are teaching. The question then, the big question, the big question is, how is this control of the Holy Spirit brought about? How are we controlled by the Holy Spirit? Too much wine controls a man, right? So that's contrasted with be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit that is under His control. When the Holy Spirit is in control, Biblically, biblically, not what's taught by religion or mystical things or feeling things. Biblically, when the Holy Spirit is in control, guess who's in your heart, your mind, your thoughts before you? Howbeit, our Lord said, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. When God the Holy Spirit is in control, Christ is before you, in your thoughts, in your heart, in your desire, in your mind. It's he, the Holy Spirit, who through the word of God teaches you about Christ. He teaches you of him. He's the one who produces or gives us faith in Christ. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit. That's not the work of human flesh or human will. That's the work of God's grace. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. God the Holy Spirit in this wondrous work. And he produces our faith in Christ. It's this knowledge of and faith in Christ. That he's kept before us. And our knowledge of him is to be ever increasing. Ever growing. Ever learning of him. Grow. In grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot grow in grace unless you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is always before us. And it's He, the Holy Spirit, 
who through giving us a singular faith in the Lord Jesus Christ enables us to pattern our lives after him. He that saith he abideth in him, in Christ, ought also so to walk, even as he walked. In 1 John 2, 6. So now we're ready to look in the injunctions here, the commands the Lord gives. With the Lord Jesus Christ before us, in our knowledge, in our minds, in our hearts, in our understanding, in our desire, with him before us, he alone, he only, as our pattern, then these injunctions can be obeyed. Let's read them again. Verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Well, we look at this passage, and we might say, you know, it's pretty easy to see how the Lord Jesus Christ can be the pattern for the headship of the husband, right? We can even look at it and we can say, well, it's also here that we could understand how the Lord Jesus Christ could be a pattern of the child's obedience to the parents. But how can it be a pattern of the wife's subjection to the husband's headship? Is he? Is he even a pattern for the wife's subjection to her husband? Well, I can easily see that. I think you will be able to from the scripture. Yes, he's a pattern of the self-sacrificial love that the husband is half of the wife. Yes, he's a pattern for the child's obedience. But he's a pattern also of submission to headship. Though equal with God, equal in deity, the same deity as the Father. Yet when he came into this world, he submitted himself in perfect humility to the headship of the Father. Now there's an order in the Trinity that we know in Scripture. We know that in salvation, this is the purpose of God the Father, purposed before the world. It is the accomplishment of the redemption then of the Lord Jesus Christ in coming into the world. It is then secured and applied by the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. There's an order in the Trinity in Scripture. But also, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he came in perfect subjection to his Father and to the authority of his Father. As a matter of fact, we even have that in Scripture associated 
with the headship of the man over the woman. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. And here we read, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. He is the perfect pattern of submission. The Lord Jesus loved the Father in loving the Father, he loved to please the Father. He's the only one in the human race who could say, I do always those things that please him. He made the Father's will his will. Long before in prophetic scripture, he said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. He says when his disciples were wondering why he was talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Perfect submission to the Father. He proved it in the very highest way possible on the eve of Calvary in the upper chamber. He says to his apostles, I'm not going to speak to you anymore hereafter. He says, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Let us arise and go hence. He proved his perfect submissive love to the Father when he went to the cross. Matter of fact, I would dare say you will not find a higher pattern of submission to headship than that of our Lord himself. And in the family, God created the family. God brought all things into existence he is the sovereign ruler of all. It is his prerogative to govern all things according to his will. And in creation, God made the man head of the family. And he orders it that way. He's the head of the woman. Why so? Because there was a picture that God wanted to paint in this. And that is between Christ and his church. Christ is the head of the woman. And like Eve was taken out of the side of the, the sleeping Adam. Christ in death brings forth his bride. Out of his side. Out of his womb out of his cross. In Christ, we know, 
In Christ, spiritually, the woman is equal to the man. In Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The woman is much an heir of eternal life, an heir of eternal glory, an heir of whatever God has for the eternal future to come for his people as much as the man. Heirs together of the grace of life, remember, Peter wrote. The woman is weaker than the man. And what does that mean when Peter speaks of protecting her, really, because she's the weaker vessel? Vessel in Scripture speaks of the body. You remember when uh, Paul said, uh, uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels? He's talking about the body, the weakness of the body. The woman's body is weaker than that of the man, although I will admit that I've seen some women I would not want to tangle with. But as a general rule, the woman is weaker in body, not in mind, but in body. For which the husband is to be a protector of her jealous of her protection in all things. And she's commanded to be subject to the husband, the headship of the husband. So wise be the man that recognizes also his wife's abilities. She's not inferior in mind. Matter of fact, some excel. She has abilities sometimes high abilities. She's to be honored as an equal in Christ. Give her abilities, space to be developed. She has them. If I had to control our finances over the years, We'd be in the poorhouse if they had such a thing. But my wife is is apt, very much so. She's very frugal and apt in, in controlling these things. So, yep, take care of that, will you? And she has the ability. She, she's a writer. She has gifts like that that I don't have. I'm a preacher. I've written, and I have. I maybe will write again in the future, but guess who I always have to read it, check it out? My writer wife. She's smart. She's smarter than me. <laughs> she has her own ability God gave her. She's weaker in body. I don't know about that in my affliction now, but, but uh, not in mind, not in gifts. And blessed the husband who recognizes that. And blessed the wife who has a husband that recognizes that. And blessed is the Christian wife who has a husband who rules in the home in a rule of love rather than authoritarianism. Authority he has. Authoritarianism is to be absolutely rejected. That's a different matter. 
So, the Lord's pattern for the husband's headship is then easily discernible in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The husband's headship was established again in creation. Adam first formed, then Eve. Then the picture of Christ and his church was therein. And the home to be patterned following Christ and his church. Where in Ephesians 5, of course, you have that. Where the, wife, the husband is to love the wife, commanded to love the wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The wife to be in subjection to the husband. This is God's order, of course. For the family, for the Christian family. And God's purpose gloriously is to end in our, in union with Christ, our head and our husband forever in a union of incredible love consummated gloriously when Christ comes. We're spouse to one husband. He is head, sovereign. And there will be a consummation of the union of love that we cannot yet comprehend in its depth and wondrous breadth and length and height. Gloriously it comes, it shall come when Christ comes. And when you're truly saved by God's wondrous grace, when you come to embrace the love that sacrificed everything for you, gave himself for you, submission to him becomes a delight, not a drudge. He loved me. What drew us to him? Bands of love. His love giving himself, dying the death we deserved, bearing all the horrendous painfulness of the wrath of God against sin in our place, calling us to come to him, that he loves us, that he won't cast us away. That makes our subjection easy. Indeed, the husband is the head of the wife. And when it comes to the family, he's to be the protector. He can say, the buck stops here. But this headship, this headship of the husband is to be governed by the pattern of Christ and his church. as we submit to our Lord, drawn to him with bands of love. So only the man who rules with the rule of love can expect a willing and loving submission from his wife. The pattern for the home where Christ is truly Lord indeed is the pattern of the relationship of Christ to his church. So it should strike us when we read Ephesians 5 
when the command is given to the husband and the wife in the home, the Lord does not give the command to the husband, husbands, rule over your wife. What command does he give? Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The rule of love in the scriptural sense is not a love of authority. It's a love of self-giving. It's a love that puts the interest of the wife even above self. Authoritarianism, which is I command you to obey me no matter what and without questions of my authority, I'd like to see that take place somewhere. See how the woman reacts if she reacts in love to such a thing. But strangely, it's far from the biblical teaching, that strangely the view of some professing Christians. You know what it tends to be? Destructive, self-serving, pride moved. Let this be your pattern, one of true love, one of serving the wife, one that puts her interest above your own. If that's the case, you'll be following Christ in this. You'll be following his example. The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Well then, the child's responsibility to parents is simply one to obey in all things, in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Well, the doing of this responsibility of the child is not so simple. Why so? Because the child is born with a disobedient heart. The child comes into this world with a disobedient heart. So, of course, we have the warnings in Scripture, like Solomon warning that the child who is not properly disciplined and corrected and taught out of love but left alone will bring his mother to shame, bring his father to shame too. Children early learn the patterns of life. And if allowed to rebel against parental authority, or worse, to rule the home, as the case is sometimes, it'll be to their permanent detriment unless God in mercy saves them. By his grace. So the parents in the home are to set an example of following Christ to their children. The children see the parents' relationship one to another. The children know 
if there's rule, the rule by love that's taking place. They know if there's a loving subjection. They know if there's a following of Christ and each one helping the other along in the things of God and the things of the Lord. And the parents are to set an example and then teach them, teaching the children the right way. Setting Christ in his gospel before them, always aiming at their salvation, keeping the truth of Christ's grace before them. By the way, God didn't give the authority over the children to the state. He didn't give it to institutions. God gave parents, not the state, not society, not their peers, complete authority over their children. They are the ones who are responsible for their children. And one of the greatest effects upon children will be the way mother and father or guardians live before them. The children know what they really want. The children know where their heart is. The children see what really thrills them. The children know these things, no matter what they say or do otherwise. They know if the Lord is really the one they desire and seek, and the one who they find to be the delight of their soul, and the one they yield unto. Discipline and teaching must come. But it's to be backed by godly living. Giving them the word of God, not only in instruction, but by example. By the way, if we can find the Lord as the pattern of submission to headship, if we uh, find him the pattern of the husband's rule of love for the wife, we also find him as the great example of the child's obedience as well. As for instance, you remember when Joseph and Mary had left Jerusalem and from the feast and the Lord Jesus waited behind in the temple as a 12-year-old boy and astounded the doctors with his knowledge. Oh, they were upset because they, they went three days and didn't find him. And when they did find him, they reproved him. They said they had sought him sorrowing. But he had a greater authority even than his parents then. Wish you not that I must do the will of my father and finish his work. Then he became subject to his parents. That's a 12-year-old. Perfect obedience to them. The father 
seems to be here later singled out in verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The father bears the greater responsibility. He's given the headship of the home. And of course, the way he carries that out is very important. So he's warned. There's a warning essentially given to the fathers not to be overbearing so as to break down the child's spirit to cause him or her to lose heart. That can happen. So I quote from something I found from William Hendrickson. Very good. Fathers should create an atmosphere which will make obedience an easy and natural matter, namely an atmosphere of love and confidence. A good father spends time with his children, teaches, entertains, and encourages them. And by his example, as well as by outright verbal instruction, points them to Christ. Though the rod of correction may at times be necessary, it must be used with discretion, since wise reproof is generally better than a hundred stripes, as we're taught in Scripture. just want to add one thing. No matter how determined one may be, and when one is a true Christian, they are determined to do the right thing. There are yet going to be many mistakes. There are going to be failures. There are going to be regrets. There are going to be problems on both ends. Three ends, husband, wife, and children. There are going to be difficulties that will come. So, as we're taught, even before in this passage, there must be enough humility to admit when one is wrong. And there must be enough humility to be ready always to forgive. So that what applies to the way we are to relate to each other is to apply also in the Christian home. And we'll but look at it and read it and quote it again in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bounds of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Always ready to forgive, to reconcile, to put differences away, to let things from the past go, and to love one another. There is no more blessed situation on earth 
than a Christian home where there is truly the rule of love, patterned after Christ. So, we'll take some prayer requests. We, of course, want to pray for Barbara. She is... uh, really under severe trial difficulty and she's afflicted pray for her son William and God's mercy to them we're going to be going to Mississippi actually it's kind of suburb of, of Memphis Tennessee for uh, an intense time of exhortation and prayer and crying to God with many others who gather from various parts of the country for an awakening, a spiritual awakening in our time. The great need of this hour is in God's hands. He's sovereign. Sometimes historically that has come of a sudden and surprisingly, but all times God uses the prayers of his people, moving the heart to know the need of him, of his grace, of his mercy. For an awakening among those who profess to know him in his churches to spread then throughout this nation. So we'll be away for that. And if you would pray for God's mercy for that, for the called convocation of prayer John Oxier George Plants and Daniel will be in my place so pray for them as uh, they prepare and come to teach the word of God talked to Bob today and they're doing better they're doing better so we're thankful to the Lord for that and they're doing so much better they were at the barber shop well, not, well maybe well not the barber shop for Carol uh, what do you call it what is it? a beauty shop or salon uh, yeah I think sometimes I'd call that a saloon, but anyway, yeah, but whatever, they, they're, they're doing much better, and we're thankful. Their needs. Hard still facing that Tracy hasn't been found. That's a very difficult situation. You're not giving up, though, are you? No. It's a difficult thing to go through.
anybody else? Of course, we have regular prayer requests I'm sure you want to engage in uh, as well, afflictions and so forth, and sicknesses that are around. So we're going to stop the live stream at this time. Those who are at home can pray privately or with their families as they will. So we had a good group on this. Yeah, we had a big group. Yeah. Good. How's the picture when you have the picture on? <laughs> uh, well, I, I might dispute that since they're looking at me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hmm?